going to get started just because I always end up going longer than I'm supposed to. So, and hopefully have a little bit more time for questions at the end, questions that I probably won't be able to answer, but at least we'll have time for it. So, let's pray first before we get started. Thank you, Father, for uh, another day and the opportunity to come together to worship with the body of Christ. Thank you for your word that um, reveals uh, so much truth to us and the reality of the angelic and the demonic world where a great spiritual battle continues and will until your return. Just pray that you'd open our eyes and our hearts uh, to truth, that we would be encouraged and strengthened by it, and pray that all that we do today would glorify and honor you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at the doctrine of demons and Satan and not a very pleasant subject, but there is so much in Scripture that speaks to this, and what you're going to hear today is, is really just scratching the surface, particularly when we get to um, the doctrine of Satan, what Scripture teaches about Satan. There is so much. It's just, it's overwhelming. You could literally do um, a couple of months just on the doctrine of Satan, but at the same time, we don't want to focus on that. We don't want to be obsessed with demonology and study of Satan. Um, we need to focus on Christ and on uh, the truth that we have um, victory over Satan and uh, all of his schemes and designs to destroy us. Uh, so this is just going to be a brief familiarization with uh, some of the things that Scripture teaches us about, about demons and uh, about Satan. So, uh, first of all, I want to clarify some of the mythology, uh, false notions that surround this subject. First of all, demons, uh, and I'm sure you all know this, but the world has got some wacky ideas. Demons are not bad humans who have uh, died and then come back to haunt the rest of us like ghosts. Satan and his demons are not bright red in color with long pointy tails and horns coming out of their heads and they don't carry pitchforks around to poke people with, obviously all mythology, and there's not a demon behind every illness, there's not a demon behind every catastrophe or evil deed. Um, Satan and his demons are in a war with God, but um, the outcome of that war is not in question. They are not on equal footing. Satan and his demons are not on equal footing with God and the holy angels. The outcome of that war has already been decided. Uh, Satan and his demons are finite created beings, just as we found uh, to be the case with the holy angels. And because they're finite created beings, they're nowhere close in possessing the power of God. And in fact, we'll see that uh, they're only able to do what God allows them to do. They actually serve God's purposes. They serve God uh, unknowingly and um, without cooperation, but they do serve him. So what are demons? We mentioned this last week. They are evil angels who at one time were good angels. At one time, they were without sin, and then they sinned, and they were condemned by God. Um, like the holy angels we looked at last week, they are created beings, they are spiritual beings, they have a will, the ability to make moral judgments, and they possess very high intelligence. They don't have physical bodies. Uh, brief definition from Grudem's theology, demons are evil angels who sinned against God and who now continually work evil in the world. Genesis 1.31 says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So everything God created was very good. There was no evil, there was no sin, no demons in the angelic realm, no fallen angels at that point. But then you get to Genesis chapter 3, and we see Satan in the form of a serpent tempting Eve to sin against God. Genesis 3, 1 through 5, 
So somewhere between Genesis 1.31 and Genesis 3.1, there was a rebellion amongst the angels, and many of those angels turned against God and became evil through their sin. And you see this reference to the angelic rebellion in a couple of places in Scripture, particularly 2 Peter 2.4. says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. And Jude 6, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains and under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. <clears throat> and those texts indicate that these evil angels, these demons, were removed from God's presence and they may be metaphorically in chains in that their influence in the world is restricted but not necessarily eliminated. Or it may be that some of those uh, evil angels, some of those evil angels are held in prison while others are allowed access to the world. The fact is, there are clearly demons and demonic influence recorded in Scripture, and that continues till, um, you know, to this day and will until Christ's return. Uh, another passage that most likely refers to that rebellion and specifically to Satan is Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who lay to the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. So that passage, uh, initially, if you look at the context, is speaking about a judgment on the king of Babylon, but then it shifts to, this, to the heavenly realm, and it does seem to indicate rebellion by an angelic creature who has great power, which we believe is Satan. And that does happen in prophetic texts where uh, Scripture will go from an earthly description to a uh, heavenly parallel. So if that's what's happening here in that particular text, and most theologians agree that it is, then it would also indicate that Satan's sin was pride and uh, attempting to make himself equal to God, and then he's judged. Now, the um, basic characteristics of these evil angels, these demons, basically the same as the holy angels with the exception of their sin and judgment. And uh, Grudem makes the statement that, uh, in fact, they are most likely uh, weaker than the holy angels in power uh, because sin does weaken. So that is a possibility. Uh, evil angels possess personhood. They have conversations with Jesus. Uh, they know who he is in Luke 8, 26 to 39. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. And they are capable of emotion. You see that actually in that passage. Uh, you see uh, their fear often illustrated in texts. James 2.19 says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Then in Matthew 8.29 and 31, they demonstrate fear in um, and their ability to exercise will and to make choices says, And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And then, uh, just like with the holy angels, they are created. They are spirit beings. They don't have physical bodies. And they are able to move uh, from place to place. You see that particularly um, in texts about Satan, where he travels over the earth, and it's likely that demons are with him. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Um, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, demons can also enter into humans and be removed from them. 
and they travel between heaven and earth. Job 1, 6, and 7 uh, particularly illustrates that. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. So they move around. Uh, again, they're not like uh, God. They are not omnipresent. They can only be in one place at one time. I'm going to give you a, a list of just a few of the names in Scripture that refer uh, to demons in the Old Testament and New Testament. And those names uh, or titles in many cases um, are descriptions of their evil character or their actions. Uh, the Old Testament, New Testament have words that are translated as demon 63 times in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, they refer to demonic activity that results in idolatrous worship. Deuteronomy 32.17 says they sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently whom your fathers had never dreaded. And in the New Testament, demon always refers to an evil spiritual being. Matthew 7.22, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And they're called, they're also called evil or harmful spirits. 1 Samuel 18.10, the next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. In Acts 19.12, and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. They're also called lying spirits in 1 Kings 22, 20 through 23. I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And that passage is probably an exchange between God and Satan in which Satan sends out with God's permission and serving God's purposes lying spirits into Ahab's 400 prophets. And that's a point we'll get to later. I already mentioned it in the introduction, but Satan and the demon's power is totally limited by God, and God uses them to accomplish whatever he has determined will be. And you see that especially, that point especially in Job, uh, but we'll get to that later. Anyway, uh, they're also called the spirit of uncleanness. Zechariah 13.2, I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. And again, that's an association with idolatry or false worship. Sometimes they are referred to as angels, but angels as messengers of Satan or in league with Satan. 2 Corinthians 12, 7, a thorn was given me in the flesh, this is Paul speaking, obviously, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. And then Revelation 12, 7, now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon is a reference to Satan, and the dragon and his angels fought back. And again, that's probably a reference to that initial rebellion in heaven. They're also called deceitful spirits that promote false teaching, 2 Timothy 4.1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Uh, they can be referred to as the host of heaven, which is also reference to holy angels. And that term, um, find that in 2 Kings 17, 16. Uh, they made an Asherah and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And in Isaiah 24, 21, on that day the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of earth on the earth. That can't be a reference to the holy angels because they don't sin, so they don't deserve punishment. Host of heaven has to be a reference to evil angels. Revelation 16, 13, the unclean spirits coming from Satan have the, oh, where am I? I jumped ahead. Okay, so they're also called frogs, okay? In Revelation 16, 13, uh, passage says, unclean spirits coming from Satan have the appearance of frogs. I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet Three unclean spirits like frogs. And you see later that's actually identified as demons. Jesus then refers to an unclean spirit also as a mute and deaf spirit. Mark 9.25. 
And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Uh, They're also called uh, spirits of divination in Acts 16.16. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. And both evil and holy angels are also referred to as stars. We see that in Revelation 12.4. So that's, that's not all the names that are in Scripture that refer to demons, but that is definitely an overview of some of them. Next, we're going to look at their power and activity. So like holy angels, they do have great power, possibly diminished because of their sin. Certainly greater power than what humans possess, but again, not close to the power of God. And uh, you see that in a number of passages. Um, Romans 8, 38 and 39 is one in particular, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come Um, and I'll jump ahead, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, Not as powerful as God, but they do have the power uh, to indwell humans and animals. You see that in Mark 5, 1 through 6, when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. And there are numerous references to demon possession in uh, Scripture, particularly the New Testament. They can physically affect people, Mark 9, 17, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. They terrorize people, 1 Samuel 18, 10, uh, the next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house. They also can initiate false worship, 1 Corinthians 10, 20, what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God, I do not want you to be participants with demons. They also promote false doctrine, 1 Timothy 4.1. Later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. We already saw that passage earlier. They can also perform false signs and wonders, 2 Thessalonians 2.9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. In Revelation 16.14, for they are demonic spirits performing signs. And that passage is actually that reference to the demon frogs that were mentioned earlier. Um, They can also deceive prophets. Uh, You see that particularly in the story of Ahab and the prophets in 1 Kings 22, 19 through 23. Uh, And again, they do promote idolatry. Psalm 106, 37, they sacrifice their sons and their daughters to the demons. And they can also bring about death. Judges 9, 23 through 57 is an example of that. But that's also an example of God using uh, demons for his purposes. Um, Now, under the topic of demonic power is the fact that there is uh, uh, a demonic or an evil angel hierarchy. I mentioned that last week. Some passages refer to the holy angel hierarchy. Some refer to demonic uh, hierarchy. Ephesians 6, 12 uh, is one of those. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Clearly a reference to the, the demonic hierarchy. Uh, they serve God, uh, which is has been mentioned before, not as powerful as God. They do serve him. And that is mentioned over and over in Scripture, particularly the Old Testament. Uh, Judges 9.23 is an example. God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. God sent an evil spirit, so uh, they are under his control. Demons are also uh, terrified of Christ, and we see that over and over again. Mark 1.24, what have you to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? You know who you are, the Holy One of God. They also obey Christ, Matthew 8, 32. And he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs. Just with the word, uh, Jesus commands the demons. Now the disciples also had authority over them. Uh, Matthew 10, 1 through 8, he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. 
Um, they can't separate believers from God and his love. We saw that in Romans 8, 38. They can also be held back or restrained by the Holy Spirit. 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 and 1 John 4, 4 are examples of that. Um, also, they've already been judged. And those passages we read earlier, 2 Peter 2, 4 and Jude 6 are examples of the judgment that has already taken place. But they will be fully and finally uh, judged in the future. Matthew 25, 41. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the de devil and his angels. In Revelation 20, 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur. So that's a brief overview of demons. And we'll get to Satan in a minute. But uh, one question uh, some people have is, I think it's an important question. Can a Christian, a true believer, uh, who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, be demonized or demon-possessed? And the passages where the Greek word that would literally be translated as demonized uh, are very similar. In fact, they're identical to those where an individual is said to have a demon or an unclean spirit. In those cases, the demon has invaded the body of a victim and exercises complete control over the individual so they, they're unable to resist the, the demon's influence. There are other forms of demon harassment and oppression that don't involve actual um, possession or taking up residence uh, in and control of an individual. And there's about 15 instance, instances in Scripture of demon possession, actual demon indwelling, but none of those in Scripture ever involve a true believer. Now, King Saul, some people uh, argue, might be an exception where uh, an evil spirit comes upon him, rushes upon him, it says in other texts, but in each one of those cases, the demon is said to be upon him and, or tormenting him. It never says or suggests that the evil spirits were within Saul. And it's questionable whether Saul was a true believer anyway, but they're assuming that he was, um, and he is never possessed by a demon, certainly harassed. Those texts always speak of an external or never an internal torment. Uh, that's in, and you'll find that in 1 Samuel chapter 16, 18, and 19. So not only are there no examples of a believer possessed by a demon in Scripture, but there are no biblical warnings or instructions on how to deal with um, something like that. There's also a number of Scriptures that, that theologically dictate against a believer being demon-possessed. 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 14 through 15, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, what accord has Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols, for we are the temple of God? Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And we overwhelmingly conquer, and that includes Satan, we conquer Satan and evil in Romans 8, 37 through 39. And then we have victory in Christ over sin and evil in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. We have overcome the evil one, Satan, in 1 John 2, 13 through 14. And the greater power of the Holy Spirit indwells us, 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And then 1 John 5:18, that passage alone makes the idea of demon possession of a true believer um, inconceivable. It says, "We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him." So, demon possession biblically is out of the question for a true believer. doesn't mean they can't torment or harass or oppress believers externally, 
Um, King Saul is an example of that, and Paul with a demonic thorn in his flesh is another example of that external torment or harassment. So that's uh, demon possession, demon possession of believers at least. Now, um, let's look at Satan. Um, basically, um, again, if not all of the things that have been said about demons, they are applicable to Satan and then some. First of all, uh, the names that are used of Satan in Scripture, and just like the demons, uh, the names for demons, they reveal Satan's character and activity. Um, Satan actually means adversary, and devil means slanderer. Um, and those two are the most frequent names given uh, for him. He is also called Abaddon, which refers to death and destruction. You see that in Revelation 9, 11 and Psalm 88, 11. He is the accuser. He accuses believers uh, before God. Zechariah 3, 1 and Revelation 12, 10. He's an adversary, 1 Peter 5, 8. He's the angel of the bottomless pit in Revelation 9, 11. Beelzebul, the prince of demons in Matthew 12, 24. Belial in 2 Corinthians 6, 15. And Belial refers to everything that's vile, wicked, or worthless. Um, he's the dragon, which gives this picture of an apocalyptic monster in Isaiah 27, 1 and Revelation 12, 3. He's the enemy, Luke 9, uh, 10, 19. The evil one in John 17, 15. Uh, in Ephesians 6, 16, and that is the third most frequent name for Satan, the evil one, after Satan and the devil. He's also the father of lies, John 8, 44, and literally the originator of all lies, and we saw, we saw that in the beginning, Genesis 3, 1 through 6, and along that same thought, he's also called a liar, he's called a lying spirit, he's called the God of this world, which refers to the evil worldly system that is in opposition to God. And again, while he's the, the God of this world, he is still under God, our Father's control. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 is that passage. Jesus says he is a murderer and a liar. John 8.44, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He's also the prince of the power of the air, which means he rules over that demonic hierarchy and their power, Ephesians 2.2. He's also a roaring lion, 1 Peter 2, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 2.2. And similar to the God of this world, he is called the ruler of this world, John 12, 31. He's serpent in Genesis 3, 1. He is a star fallen from heaven, Revelation 9, 1. And he is the king of the demons in Revelation 9, 11. He's also described as the tempter in Matthew 4, 1 and 1 Corinthians 7, 5. <clears throat> so Satan is very real, and he has been active um, from just after creation up until the present. Again, that activity will continue in opposition to God and God's people until Christ returns. As the evil ruler of the evil worldly system, not only is he a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, 1 Peter 5, 8, but uh, he lies and causes people to lie. Acts 5.3, he disguises himself as an angel of light in order to deceive people, 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, though it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. He snatches the gospel from unbelievers, Matthew 13, 19. He holds unbelievers in his power, Ephesians 2, 2. Um, says, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He deceives unbelievers to do his will, 
2 Timothy 2.26, and they may come, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. He tempts believers to sin, 2 Corinthians 7.5. He tries to take advantage of believers, 2 Corinthians 2.11. He tries to destroy believers' faith, Luke 22.31. He torments believers, 2 Corinthians 12.7. He tries to stop gospel ministry, 2 Thessalonians 2.18. says, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. And he wars against believers in the church, Ephesians 6, 11 through 17. That passage also speaks about Satan's attacks, uh, but gives us the strategy for resisting Satan. So Satan's power, uh, like all angels, is great. And, in fact, he may have been one of the most powerful angels on par with Michael, the archangel. If you remember from last week, uh, Satan um, was the anointed guardian cherub in Ezekiel 28, 14, and 16. But as with all created beings, his power, again, does not compare with the power of God. And I keep emphasizing that because many people, certainly young believers, uh, not knowledgeable uh, of Scripture, uh, fear Satan, fear demons. We have no reason to fear. Uh, our God is so much more powerful than Satan. Only God is all-powerful. Only God is all-knowing. He's present everywhere all the time. He's sovereign ruler over all of his creation. He's unchanging, self-existent, infinite and majestic in all of his attributes, and none of that can be said about Satan. Now, as I mentioned earlier, and we saw in some of those previous passages, Satan's power is limited and controlled by God, allowing or directing it for his good and righteous purposes, and he uses demons and Satan without ever violating any of his righteous or holy character. Job is the perfect example of this in chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand only Against him, do not stretch out your hand. And then chapter 2, 1 through 6, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. And Satan had to comply with it. He was not able to go against what God had ordered him to do or not do. And what I think is a really cool but profound comment on the limit of Satan's um, power is a statement that Martin Luther made hundreds of years ago. He said, even the devil is God's devil. God owns him. And then a contemporary theologian, Erwin Lutzer, said, the devil roams around like a lion, but he's on God's leash. And in the New Testament, Jesus delivered and healed people who were possessed or oppressed by Satan, just further demonstrating God's power over Satan. The apostle Paul was empowered to enlighten unbelievers so they would turn from Satan, Acts 26, 18. And believers can overcome Satan's power through Christ, James 4. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And that resistance is submission to God and following Christ. 1 John 2, 13 through 14, the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And then ultimately, whatever power Satan currently possesses will be permanently removed when he's judged. Revelation 12, 9 through 10, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And then in Revelation 27 through 10, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, until that time, that final judgment of Satan and his demons, um, they will continue to attempt to thwart God's plans, the progress of the gospel, the salvation of unbelievers, and the faith, witness, and effectiveness of believers. 
as ministers of the gospel. He will continue to lie and deceive uh, the world by presenting his wicked perversions of the truth and representing evil as good and good as evil. He will continue to attempt to outwit and destroy believers in spiritual warfare. And one of his primary tactics, again, in this warfare is the assault on the truth, causing believers to doubt or question the truth of God's word, just like Eve. Um, In spite of his power, intelligence, and craftiness, he will and has ultimately failed. He was ultimately defeated in the death and resurrection of Christ and will suffer final judgment with Christ's return. Now, uh, in light of that, how do we defend against Satan's attacks? Because we are involved in spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 gives that strategy. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So we'll break that down briefly. The belt of truth is knowing and believing the content of God's word. Breastplate of righteousness for a Roman soldier, the breastplate protected his heart and lungs. And for a a believer, uh, the breastplate of righteousness protects our hearts, our affections through personal, practical righteousness, the pursuit of practical righteousness, walking in obedience, walking in the spirit, and increasingly becoming like Jesus over time in our sanctification. The shoes we wear, the readiness of the gospel of peace means that we have fully embraced the truth of the gospel and everything that the gospel means, in in that we will have sure footing and be able to stand in battle. Uh, The shield of faith is our faith in Christ, which grants us union with Christ, eternal life, so the devil can't overcome us in battle. He cannot ultimately destroy us. And a Roman helmet prevented a crushing blow uh, to the head by an enemy. And the helmet of salvation is the full and final salvation we are guaranteed in Christ. Sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Truth is our offensive and defensive weapon against Satan's lies. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 uh, refers to the, to the Word in that way as well. And lastly, we pray. We pray at all times. We pray in the Spirit. We pray in a variety of ways with prayers and supplication. Uh, we keep alert, persevering in prayer and praying for all the saints. In prayer, we call on the power of God. We access the power of God. So that's the strategy. And that's all I'm going to go over today in regards to Satan and demons. There is, there's too much uh, to include in a uh, uh, short half-hour, 45-minute teaching. I do recommend that you uh, read a couple of books Uh, particularly in regards to Satan. There's a book by Erwin Lutzer called God's Devil. An older version of that book is called The Serpent in Paradise. Erwin Lutzer is um, a teacher, pastor at Moody uh, Bible Institute. It's about $14 on Amazon right now. And I would also recommend that you read uh, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis which is very, um, it's an entertaining book, um, but very insightful into the way uh, Satan schemes and plots, uh, particularly for the destruction of believers. So, any questions? Yeah.
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They will appear to be miraculous. Uh, they certainly do have power. I mean, if you think back to uh, when Moses came before Pharaoh, uh, he would perform a sign, and then the, the priests would imitate that sign. But I would say that it's imitation rather than actual. Do you have a question? I'm sorry? Mm-hmm. And again, I would say that certainly um, demonic power is real. They are capable of doing um, some of the things that, that we see God doing. But again, that's under God's permission and direction. So they can uh, affect nature. Or they can cause death. So, you know, it's possible that they are able to, to perform what appear to be miracles. But again, all of that is under God's under God's power and direction. They can't do anything without his permission. So if they do something, it's, it's because he has chosen uh, to allow that for his purposes. Brendan. So absolutely under God's authority to allow him to tempt Adam and Eve. Where does sin come from? They rebelled. They exercised moral will and chose to rebel against God. Satan and those angels that, that joined him in that rebellion. Aside from that, Scripture does not say any more than that. We know that they rebelled and uh, sinned or cast you know, out of his presence. And then we see um, Satan in the garden. Uh, sometime between initial creation and that encounter. You know, so the rebellion took place. Took place after, you know, God said everything about his creation was good, very good. So at that point, there was no sin. There was no rebellion. Sometime after that and between Genesis 3 is when it took place. And we know that at least with Satan, in that passage in Isaiah, appears to be a, the sin of pride and wanting to be on par or above God. Anything else? What's the question? Well, if from last week, they, you see angels as guardians protecting. I don't see anything in Scripture where it says that they influence you. They're sent to protect. They're always messengers. The, the only you know, instances where you see angels influencing or harassing, or I mentioned having influence um, beyond guardianship is, is with the evil angels, the demon possession or harassment of the flesh. a messenger, yeah, whacking Peter on the shoulder. <laughs> That's right. Wake up. <laughs> yes. 
uh, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. And uh, the strategy is, <clears throat> you know, your faith and the word of God. So I would venture to say that most of what um, we see in regards to demonic influence in, in our world, and I don't know if I want to go there, you don't, you don't see, not to say that demon possession doesn't take place, it still takes place, but um, certainly in uh, the modern Western world, Satan's strategies are more subtle. Um, he destroys people by, by causing people to doubt, question, or reject the truth. I believe that's his most effective strategy, you know, just as it was in the garden. Um, we lived, when we lived in Africa, well, Pastor Ken, who's the pastor of Emmanuel Baptist, used to travel to uh, Sudan to train uh, rural pastors there. And he came across at least one incidence, uh, instance of an individual who he firmly believed was demon-possessed, and it was a witch doctor uh, of this one particular village. And uh, he did not try to engage or cast that demon out if it was, in fact, demon possession, but he believed that it was uh, a legitimate case of demon possession. And I think if you read, if you read um, the screw tape letters, uh, you see how Satan operates in the modern world. And uh, I think it's much more effective than, than demon possession. So we tend to see demon possession more in um, cultures that are less developed. I think you'll see that in uh, places in Africa. Uh, potentially places like Papua New Guinea, New Guinea, places that are more remote and less developed. I don't know why that is, but uh, yeah, yeah. see any example in scripture of that or any command to bind Satan or to bind a demon that's you know it comes from one text in the Old Testament but I believe that it's taken out of context I, I would have to go back and look that up but I, I don't believe that it's actually a biblical practice no. and um, you know it's also an um, this gets into the discussion of continuationism, uh, cessationism, and uh, you tend to see uh, these, you tend to see examples of, uh, careful what I say, of demon possession, casting out demons, all that kind of thing, in uh, the continuationist camp more than you do in the cessationist camp. Um, not to say that they don't occur, but in over 45 years of um, my life as a believer in Christian ministry in various locations and continents, I've never seen uh, a legitimate example of that. I think you also see that particularly in some of those camps that <coughs> promote the idea of demon possession and, you know, being able to cast out demons, that the way they end up casting out demons or exercising uh, demons, it looks nothing like the biblical accounts of, you know, people who cast out demons. 
in the biblical accounts, a word is spoken, one word, and they're gone. And the, the modern day examples, I think they spend hours wrestling and arguing with demons, supposed demons, and shouting at them. Demons are not hard of hearing. They don't need to be shouted at. And if, if it's biblical, you would think that it would look like those examples in Scripture. Very often it's... it's Yeah, yeah, that's totally unbiblical. Yeah. Well, I don't. I think that it can be, but at the same time, uh, just because someone has an illness or because someone is addicted to drugs or some other uh, besetting sin, not necessarily demonic influence, other than you know, it's evil. But, um, you know, our sin natures will take us down that path without the assistance of any demon or Satan. We'll sin regardless. And, and you, you're going to see that. I mean, in the millennial kingdom, people will still sin, but Satan and his demons are bound during that time. So that doesn't negate the reality that there is demon possession. It doesn't negate the reality that there is demonic influence, you know, in our world. But not everything is demonic influence. You know, there's not a, a demon behind every bush. So. And again, it's not something that we, we need to be aware of it, but we don't need to be focused on it. You know, un, unhealthy, our focus should be on Christ and walking in obedience. And if something like that ever were to happen, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Yeah, I mean, Jesus in the, in the wilderness, that's how he dealt with Satan. Satan would take scripture out of, he would lie, essentially, uh, misquote, or take it out of context, and Jesus would come back with scripture, properly applied. That should be our strategy, yeah? Sword of the Spirit, Word of God. All right, we're way over. You're dismissed.